And for those of you on YouTube, you are watching the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast, episode 42. For those of you on other platforms, you are listening to the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast, episode 42. Alex Savage Post and Jordan Levine back again for the giant segment, of course. Second half will be Yank segment. I'm doing this tonight, Monday, and then I usually do the Yankee stuff on the Tuesday, and then I release it. But however, we have a lot of things to talk about for the Giants segment here. We're going to discuss the Ryan Connolly cut. We're going to discuss the DeAndre Baker cut. And then, of course, we're going to go into the unofficial depth chart. It's still unofficial. Jordan has everything. Hey, man. Thanks for having me again. It's good to be back. Good to have you. So I want to get this thing out about the Connolly cut. I'm not going to go on necessarily a rant as I really wanted to, but I'm going to explain my thoughts on it. Yeah, all I know the we beat, feel very similar. Yeah. For all the <laughs> beat reporters out there and for all the giant fans out there that think that people don't have a reason to rant on this Connolly thing, you're wrong. And for all the people who are saying, oh, you're not the coaches, you don't see on the inside. Well, you know what? You obviously didn't believe in Connolly. I'm going to say that right now. And I'm not going to go ahead and say, oh, the Giants' defense is going to be terrible without him. We'll see what Minnesota makes out of him. We'll see what Devontae Downs is because he's going to be likely the starting guy next to Blake Martinez. So, and I feel like the Giants kind of downgraded him in his subject. Now, when Dave Gettleman, at the beginning of his regime and his reign, he said, we don't give up on talent. For Giants fans that didn't live under a rock, Ryan Connolly was talent. Whether he was injured whether he was not playing well, whether, you know, something was happening that we didn't see, he was talented. And for the rest of the linebacking core, it's just mainly run-stopping linebackers. I mean, I don't know how Patrick Graham is going to use them in its entirety, but in a way, I see everybody's point. Oh, well, you know, you don't see what the coaches see. And this is not a Hunter Sharp situation. This is not Alonzo Russell, where they surprisingly got cut and, you know, they were going to be backup special teamers. That's not the truth. I mean, that is the truth in that case, but right here, it's not, because Connolly would have started in the future, possibly. Now, I know people are going to be like, oh, well, you don't know if he's going to start in the future, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? He could have contended to start in the future, and he was the only linebacker, as of right now, that could possibly cover. The rest, run-stopping linebackers. That's what the Giants have been mainly focusing on this offseason, is, you know, run-stopping because they got Austin Johnson that they got the big guys on the defensive line like B.J. Hill and whatnot that have been mainstays. But the point is, you know, Ryan Connolly showed a lot of talent last year, and it's going to be disappointing. We'll see what week one and the rest of the weeks go on without him and see how he does in Minnesota and see how Devontae Downs does here if he is the one starting. Jordan, how you feel on this? I mean, obviously, as most Giants fans who observe the team closely – feel I'm obviously a little bit upset just because I had a soft spot for Connolly. And I think that the whole reason that this is so baffling is kind of because Joe judge comes in, he gets hired, right? It's a new team, new system, new everything. Right. So it's basically a blank slate for everyone, but this is a guy who's basically, he hasn't been shying away from telling people that what he cares about most is versatility. He's a special teams guy. Right. When he came in, he said he used to look at guys the way they move rather than give him a position. And basically, if you look at Connolly, even though he was around for a pretty short amount of time before he got injured and tore the ACL, uh, he really did a little bit of everything. He was stopping the run. He was picking the ball off. He, he had a couple sacks, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have the stats up on right now, but he was kind of all over the map for them. And that's kind of the main reason why I'm so 
intrigued by this cut. But at the same time, you have to basically, you have to look at it the other way, right? This is a guy, second year, late round pick. He played well last year. Yes. Was it a fluke? We don't know because he got injured and he hasn't been back. But going back to what Paul said in last the last episode, uh, one thing he mentioned was that uh, these guys, when they tear the ACL, they're not back to full speed, basically, for, I think he said, two years after the injury. So that's one thing you got to take into account. And number two is you have to assume that although he looked very versatile last year with all the, the stats that he, that he had, did he fit the scheme? You know what I mean? We don't really know what Patrick Graham's going to come out with. So those are two reasons why I'm not trying to keep myself. I keep thinking about those things and I'm like, don't get angry. Don't get angry. But yeah, he, he showed a lot of promise last year. I was not expecting him to be on the list of cuts. I wasn't either. And two things that also point out at me, I mentioned earlier that Dave Gettleman said at the beginning of his reign, you know, we don't give up on talent. And what kind of really shocked me, I don't know if he worded it badly or didn't word it correctly, Joe Judge, when he said, oh, uh, we expected him to go on waivers, but we also wanted to sign him to the practice squad. So did you have him at a lower value or was he that much injured to where you expected him to go or whether your team didn't have a value for him, excuse me, or whether it was that he didn't fit your scheme. And the, one of the things that everybody says about Joe Judge, oh, uh, we play players to their strengths, not our scheme strengths. So, you know, there's a lot of questions that are still unanswered about this cut, whether it was injury, whether he didn't fit something. But we have to see week one and the next couple of weeks on. It's not, you know, a finished subject. It's not a closed case for a lot of Giant fans. But a lot of Giants fans are going out there and saying, you know what, you were not on the inside, so you don't understand. Which is not necessarily the greatest attitude to go about because you need to recognize in a horrible defense last year, Jonas Jenkins was cut at the end of the year before the Dolphins game. If Ryan Connolly, you want to count him, he led the team with interceptions. Jonas Jenkins had five, he had two. There was not many interceptions last year. There was not. There was Connolly, there was Jenkins, and I don't know how many others. Probably that may or may not have been all of them. Jabril Peppers was one of them. Antoine Bethay was one of them too, but Bethay didn't really make much of a great impact. You know, it was just one play and, you know, but there was a couple others, but that flew under the bridge very, very fast. But again, you know, I get that we don't see the stuff on the inside. We didn't get to see training camp. We didn't get to see preseason games. I get that. Trust me. But at the same time, you cannot be going on other people saying, oh, you don't see the inside. You have to feel their sense of disappointment because he actually was a positive look for the future. 100%. And another thing, uh, I also liked that he was kind of there and, you know, he he did, he played with Carter Coffin, if I'm not mistaken, our seventh round uh, outside linebacker out of Minnesota. And he played with him in high school and, I'm, you just got to think that it's it kind of it definitely doesn't help the camaraderie and the relationship between all the guys in the locker room you know because he was there last year he knew some of the guys it's just kind of a baffling move by the Giants in all aspects but at the same time you got a the only thing to to cling to is that we didn't get a close enough look that too and with that aspect you know the last two years 
Gettleman has been going, oh, continuity and familiarity. Look how many guys we picked up from Arizona, from Carolina, from a couple other places because of familiarity. Especially, we picked up uh, Adrian Colbert and a couple other guys on the waiver wire. Adrian Colbert played five games with the Dolphins last season. Especially guys like Cam Fleming. Yeah, Cam Fleming from the Cowboys. So, I mean... It's a topic to think about, but it's also a topic that goes under the bridge, and a lot of people don't think about that. So, I mean, good luck for Connolly, in my opinion. Good luck to him. He's in his home state of Minnesota now, gets to play for their team, and we'll see what the Devontae Downs era looks like with Blake Martinez, of course, and let's see if we could cover tight ends and running backs this year because that's been a problem in the past, and especially week one with Eric Ebron, Vance McDonald, and Jalen Samuels and James Conner coming out of the backfield, you know, they're going to be weapons in the passing game on whatever down it may be, depending on the situation, how the Giants can stop them. So the next thing I'm going to get into is the DeAndre Baker cut. Any Giant fan who has not been living under a rock the last couple of months knows that, you know, this was coming. And everybody at the beginning was saying, oh, is he innocent? And this is just, you know, May. Then a couple weeks later, victims start recanting. Then on July 10th, Pat Leonard of the Daily News, he's a frowned-upon Giants reporter for a lot of Giant fans, nonetheless comes out with a report that says Quentin Dunbar's lawyer, DeAndre Baker, and Quentin Dunbar, well, they paid off the witnesses and whatever, and now the negativity starts going up again. And actually, when they pressed charges against Baker, he recanted his appeal to the commissioner's list when we went to training camp. And Joe Judge was basically saying, you know, with these offseason meetings, we're going to let him focus on his legal issues, which kind of was a sense like, you know, you need to get your stuff done first here. Whether you're innocent, whether you're guilty, you need to get your legal stuff done before you create a distraction and come here. He didn't say it like that, but we could all detect his days are numbered with the Giants. Right. I mean, I'm not going to speak so much on the whole past and how we got here just because that's too tough to relive, you know, all the ups and downs. It was kind of just mind games the media was playing with us. But I will say that this is a very, 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 very tough bullet to take for the Giants just because they they essentially they traded back in to the first round last year, right? Mm-hmm. And they drafted him. They used a first rounder on him. And, I mean, the guy didn't play so well at the beginning of last season, but he kind of came into his own in the last four, five, six games of the season last year. And he kind of showed a very encouraging glimpse into the future, which kind of was like, okay, this guy is a potential cornerback one in this league. Right. So you're like happy. You use your first rounder on this guy. And then all of a sudden it's not even an injury or a trade or something like that. It's just, it's a tough, it's tough, you know, especially because the Giants are the type of organization where there is a very firm no acceptance policy and no, they're, they're not going to allow this type of behavior in the organization. And I'm not going to talk about whether he's innocent or not. I don't really know what's going on. I'm going to let the higher people talk about that. But the main point I'm trying to make here is how much better would I feel if the Giants had Baker out there and McKinney wasn't hurt? A lot better. It's going to be tough and it really is it's a huge setback, a huge setback for the team. And with this whole new Joe Judge thing, and this is not, you know, just locker room. Going back to our last subject about Connolly, 
That's two draft picks from the 2019 class that are gone. One's a first rounder, one's a fifth rounder. So you kind of have to think, how many of these draft picks are still around? Like, first round pick, obviously, from 2018, that's Saquon Barkley. So from the 2018 class, Kyle Oletta, he's the only one not with us right now. He's with, I believe, the Falcons practice squad. Go to 2019, it gets a little deeper, even though that's most recent, too. Georgia Safa with Jay, he's no longer with us. He's somewhere else, I don't know where. Chris Slayton's with the Bills practice squad. Those two are seventh round picks, so that's somewhat of, I can see through that. DeAndre Baker's a first round pick, and we traded three picks to get him, including a 37th, which we could have used on maybe an offensive lineman or an edge rusher, even though we got O'Shane Ziminis late in the uh, third round. And also, another thing as well, you know, Ryan Connolly, fifth rounder. Everybody's going to go back to, oh, Darius Slayton. He was drafted in the fifth round. They made a boom out of him, and Connolly was a good-looking guy. Well, maybe Dave Gettleman screwed up on that. And what's saving a lot of Giants fans from hating Dave Gettleman at this point is that he knows how to draft. We haven't gotten that in a long time. His free agent signings really haven't necessarily worked out. This year, in my opinion, it's not about going to the playoffs. It's about making sure those players really develop nicely. Dave Gettleman, for his job not to be on fire, he needs the free agents to work out. He needs to stay low on cutting draft picks, which he's done two already this year. And he just needs everybody to to take a step forward to make sure that Joe Judge is the right person for the future and make sure the staff is really teaching the players what to do and, you know, kind of fixing their mistakes. Something the last coaching staff didn't do. Right. Well, I think honestly that Gettleman has to to add to your point. He has he has done a very good job drafting, whether it be the mid round picks, the first round picks. Obviously, um, at the same time though, I'm gonna go ahead and say that I think he has done a good job bringing in the right guys. Obviously, last year bringing in uh, yeah when they brought in Shermer, obviously it wasn't such a great move. He didn't really work out, but at the same time. I think almost all Giants fans, like all around, are are pretty happy with this guy Joe Judge. You know, he's showing the right kind of work ethic to these guys. They're working hard. He's not shying away from from getting down, nitty and gritty, and getting it done. You know, and that's why this hurts so much because everything is going right, and then something like legal off the field issues, which never happens to the Giants, kind of comes back and bites us in in the behind. You know. So that's kind of just the number one most disappointing thing about this is that the only mistake you can really call out Gettleman for is maybe you can say you missed something there in his personality when you were interviewing him when you were doing the pre-draft profile. But other than that, that's why this hurts so much. And that too, I mean, a lot of Giants fans are going to keep going after him. You did this wrong. You know, you didn't look at DeAndre's personality in the point where he was sleeping in team meetings. Uh, that one play against the Jets where he was jogging. Jamison Crowder had a reception. He was jogging down the field. Apparently, he was called out by Pat Shermer for that in front of the whole team, which I guess it maybe did a little bit to help. Honestly, you know, the next week sort of improved, obviously. Um, it was a bye week. Then it was the Bears game where Ballantyne got picked on. And obviously, he doesn't have any background issues like Baker does. And he's not as high as valued. But at the same time, you know, you have to keep an eye out for the valued players and the players who have the locker room issues. So I would say in the future, especially if Gettleman gets to keep his job, and let's just say the Giants at least do impressive, better than the last couple of seasons, 
and he does his job, he has to make sure going forward in the next year that when he's drafting, because nobody really does free agency anymore as much as everybody likes to say they do. No. You have a lot of cap money. Most of the times when you're looking to fix your team up and rebuild, you're using that cap money to get free agents who are just, you know, fix a spot, fix another spot. For long-term issues, you're looking for a draft pick. So Dave Gettleman, going forward, he needs to make the smarter decisions going forward that way. And that way, you know, the Maras get less pissed with him. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think to simplify that, it's it's that, yes, he's made the right decisions. He's made a bunch of good moves for us, and we owe him for that. But at the same time, he has had his share of bad, of bad moves. And that's probably why he's could be on the chopping block this uh, this season if the Giants don't show some progression or improvement. I would hate I to see it, honestly. I would hate to see it because I do think he's a good GM. I just think that he needs to tidy up a little bit. Maybe his people in the analytics or scouting department maybe make a couple of changes there. So the next thing that came out, obviously I said I was recording this on a Monday. Giants unofficial depth chart came out. Now everybody's going to go jumping left and right. Oh, what happened? Uh, this guy's starting. This guy's not starting. Well, this is unofficial, but it doesn't really change a lot when you get to the actual depth chart. So... One thing i like to point out here that I just looked up, obviously, I pull up the depth chart. Nick Gates is the starting center. He won. And we didn't really hear anything in camp about him having bad snaps. You know, he was going through prog- progressions. And also, he's never played a real game at center. So it's going to be interesting how he's going to handle the big defensive lineman. Because we always saw him, you know, playing the tackle positions with the more speedier guys on the edge. But he's going to handle, you know, tougher defensive linemen on the inside He's going to be handling the tough Steelers defensive tackles, of course, come week one and then weeks later, of course. But it's going to be a challenge for him. And obviously, Colombo, the offensive line coach, said there are actually advantages to having a tall center. Travis Frederick, he was very good in Dallas. He was a tall center. I mean, I'm not going to say he's going to become Frederick, but again, you know, so far, everybody's been rooting for Nick Gates because he's more of a long-term option than, say, Spencer Pulley. I mean, here's what I have to say about the offensive line as a whole, right? So I'd go ahead and I think it would be fair to say that the Giants are in the top half of the league when it comes to their guard play, right? You'd agree so? I would agree so, too. Hernandez, the young stud, he's proven himself in two years that he's capable of being a good guard in this league. Then you got Zeitler. I think he's he's been playing over 10 years. He's probably, I'd say, one of the best players on the Giants just because he's so consistent. He doesn't really get hurt so often, and he's a good guard. Then you got Thomas, the left tackle. Took him first round, right? There's high hopes. Obviously, he's going to have his share of rookie mistakes. He'll have his, his share of highlights. But for the most part, he'll be an average, probably below average kind of guy. But for a rookie, that's what you can take, right? So there are, compared to two years ago, three years ago, where we were at the offensive line, we're in a much, much better place, right? But at the same time, Giants fans need to understand that there is still work to be done, right? Our right tackle position right now, it's very up in the air. Same thing with center. These guys haven't played. And yes, I'm encouraged by how much we have improved as a team. But at the same time, that's not a playoff caliber offensive line, not just yet. I'm hoping that these guys can come out and play well. I'm hoping Cam Fleming can come out and show us, hey, I'm a starting right tackle in the NFL. But I'm not sure. You know what I'm saying? So we'll see what happens. And honestly, 
I wouldn't be surprised if Fleming ends up losing the job at some point to Pear if he doesn't play so well, you know? So the, the O-line is good, much better than where we were, but there's still room, in my opinion. It's There's still there's still work to be done. I honestly think at some point this season, Parrott is probably going to get maybe sooner of an opportunity than, say, Shane Lemieux because you got two good guards. Where are you going to put them? Yes, for sure. For, unless an injury happens. You can't cross-train Shane Lemieux as much as Nick Gates has been because we haven't heard anything, unless we're mistaking somehow, but we haven't heard anything as he's been right. working as much center as Nick Gates has. So it's going to be really interesting, but I don't think Shane Lemieux really gets an opportunity, as I said, unless I, injuries happen. I agree with that, and I think that part of that is because Shane Lemieux, right when we drafted him, right, he was a late-round pick out of Oregon. Everyone kind of just assumed that they were going to try and cross train him to become a center, but nothing has really come out about that. And I think it's just because, like I said before, Zeitler is probably the best player on the line. But like I also said before, Zeitler is 10 plus years in the league. So I, I have a feeling that guys like Parrot, guys like Lemieux, they like them. They're going to keep them at their position. They're going to train them and have them as reserves. And I think that those guys could be the solution in the long run. I, I really do. Also another surprise, now we're switching to more of the defensive side when it comes to the depth chart. They didn't list a slot cornerback. They listed right cornerback, they listed left cornerback. That's Bradbury and Ballantyne. Now, a lot of Giant fans will say, and I could agree with this because I've seen it, that Coy Ballantyne last year was misplaced in the slot. They didn't have anybody in the slot, so they put him in the slot, and he struggled. Well, he did, you know, against Chicago, as I brought up, and one of the opportunities he got on the outside was actually in the preseason. Now everybody's going to say, oh, well, you know, it's a preseason, you're playing against scrubs. Well, you're right, but it's also reps. And he got an interception off of former Giants QB Davis Webb when he, I forget the receiver he was covering, but he got an interception. And his play would have been much better on the outside, but they already had the outside corners. They didn't have anybody to play the side. Grant Haley, he wasn't that good in the slot. They actually benched him for Corey Ballantyne. Ballantyne didn't do that good. And when Ballantyne was injured, they had to slip Haley back in there, and the play wasn't much better. Um, I actually think that's an excellent point. And I think that goes to show how much the team has shifted this year without Janoris, without DeAndre Baker, without a bunch of our guys, right? So we used to be so heavy on the outside corner, man-to-man type of guys. But this year, it kind of feels like there's an abundance of slot guys that can play the slot and the guys that can play inside corner, right? You have Julian Love, obviously. I'm still a very big believer in Julian Love at the slot. I honestly, even though Darnay Holmes has showed a lot of good stuff this camp, I still think Julian Love's probably our best cover guy in the slot. Then you have Darnay Holmes. Then you have uh, guys like Isaac Yadome. He kind of can play anywhere, but there's a lot of guys, you know. They're all kind of have their own particular thing that they're good at. And that goes back to Joe judge. We're going to play him to their strengths. So I do think that yes, Corey Ballantyne will probably be the starting outside corner opposite side Bradbury. But I think that with all the different schemes, the three safety looks that Patrick Graham is going to come at you with, it's going to be basically the only independent, uh, the only, the only guy that's going to be there. Every play will be Bradbury in my opinion. And I think it'll be a rotating wheel of guys coming in, playing for different looks and different coverage coverages. As we mentioned, unofficial depth chart, but also another thing, going back to Friday's really discussion with Paul Dettino, he said that 
Logan Ryan is pretty much going to be taking the Xavier McKinney role. Well, let's hear that Julian Love is going to be the starting free safety. Now, we also know, you could also make a point in Paul's defense that McKinney probably would not have started right away from a lot of coaches' standpoints because everybody expected, oh, McKinney's going to be landing Collins right away. He's going to be doing this, that, box, three safety look. And a lot of coaches and beat writers were saying he's not going to start right away. And that's really not what you expect, but you also expect it depending on the traits that you would or would not expect that out of a second round pick. But otherwise, Logan Ryan looks like he's playing backup free safety right now. And it's also a good point to make that he hasn't been with a team in a while. He could be working out, but also he hasn't been with a team in a while. And also to note the fact that he's only been here, what, a week and a half? So he's not going to know everything else that everybody else knows. And same with Isaac Yidom. Ballantyne and Bradbury, they've learned the playbook. They seem to get a grasp of it. Ballantyne didn't look good in camp according to multiple beat reporters, but I would have to invest my research a little more. But we'll see what happens. And you're going to be facing good receivers like Claypool, Smith-Schuster, James Washington, Deontay Johnson. So you have to have the best corners on the field. And we'll see what that happens you know, a week from now. Right. Just to reiterate myself from before, obviously, I maybe for the first couple weeks not knowing the playbook will affect Logan Ryan but in my opinion the Giants don't really care about the title starting free safety starting cornerback you know I think that they've made it very clear we're going to be rotating guys in and out we're going to be doing different coverages different looks some three four some four three a bunch of different stuff and I think that Logan Ryan yeah he's the backup free safety I think they're going to go with a three safety rotation with Peppers Ryan and, and Love Obviously, I think Love will be more of the slot guy, like Paul said. Um, I think Ryan uh, Peppers will be more of the box safety guy, the blitzer. Ryan can do a little bit of everything. I don't think that they're actually titled starting positions, and it's, I think it's more of a, a rotational type of thing over there. But, yeah, you're right. I think not knowing the playbook could affect Ryan for the first week or two. And going back to your point of, you know, this whole rotational thing, which basically was James Betcher's thing, but off also, you know, with the 3-4 and a mix-up here, Patrick Graham's doing the same thing. And, you know, he's very good with linebackers. And going to this point, as we mentioned, Devontae Downs is listed as the starting linebacker next to Blake Martinez. And also, Zimenez and Lorenzo Carter, they're both starters on the depth chart right now. So it's more of an emphasis of... Get those guys to work. And we saw Lorenzo Carter impressed this camp, especially in the scrimmage games. You know, you could say it doesn't mean anything. He's not getting, uh, Daniel Jones not getting hit. But it does mean something because the last two years, they have not used him properly and he hasn't six, and he hasn't excelled to what he could be. And now I'm not saying he's going to be the star defensive player. No, I'm not going to say that. But you have multiple guys going through the pass rush and everything else. And, you know, maybe Carter gets a legitimate chance and the Giants don't have to put him on the chopping block next year because maybe he's utilized properly or more in a certain way where he gets to excel his skill set. Um, yeah, and I'm going to just reiterate what you said. Well, so for me, back when they drafted Carter, I believe it was I believe he was a third-round pick. He's out of Georgia. But since they drafted him, he has actually been my absolute favorite player on the defense, even though his play has not really showed for it. And there have been better guys – but it's just because I was so excited when they drafted him because he's, he was so raw. You know what I mean? He's so, he's so quick and he's got such a good first step that if they took it and they channeled it and they coached him well, 
he could end up being an eight, nine sack type of guy per year, which is exactly what the giants need right now. And, but yeah, so uh, he is one of my favorite guys on the team. And yes, I honestly do think that he can step up and be one of those guys for us. And also a minor thing to really address before we actually go to the practice squad, Darnay Holmes is the lead kick returner for the giants depth chart right now. And, as I said, it's unofficial, but he did have some huge returns at UCLA. So, you know, speaking of, of course, that Corey Coleman is not with the team anymore because he was cut for Damian Ratley, his former teammate. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what they do in this kick return game where they have Golden Tate back there, Ballantyne, Slayton, even though he's not really a kick returner, it's more Ballantyne, Peppers, and all those guys. Yeah, um... I mean, there's a lot of different directions they, they can go, and I think the main reason for that is that there's nobody glaring at you off off the roster right now that you look at him and you say immediately, that guy's a kick returner. And I think that's the reason. I think they got to figure it out. I think they'll plug and play a bunch of different guys, and I think it could come down to whoever ha- whoever's the most consistent will, will win the job. Whoever hangs onto the football, doesn't lose the ball, positive yardage, you know? They don't have any anyone glaring at you that you look at them and you say, that guy's a kick returner. While we're be... talking about Slayton, though, I will mention that I love the guy. He's probably the only guy I like better than Lorenzo Carter, actually, on the team. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to go out there and give a little shout-out to Darius Slayton because I think he's going to have a big year this year. And before we get to the practice squad, which actually kind of leads into my point here, and also about the 54 and 55th guys Going on game day, because the new rule in the NFL, you get to have, I think it's like six guys of any uh, amount of experience on the practice squad. That's why Chad Slade and a couple others are there. And also, um, for the seventh round picks, Chris Williamson is the only one who did not make the roster. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, he's versatile. He can play safety, play cornerback. But it just shows that Joe Judge and this coaching staff has a lot of faith in these late round picks because I had Williamson actually making the roster and those three linebackers Brown Coughlin and Brunson not making the roster obviously I was wrong on that but obviously they have a lot of faith in this system and a lot of faith in these young linebackers to be potential playmakers in the future right well I think that one of the only reasons that he got cut Williamson is because they brought in guys like Yadom and they just didn't have enough time to evaluate him. You know, he got traded like two days, three days before they made the cuts. So I think that's where it kind of put them in a position with Chris Williamson. And then as far as the other late seventh round guys uh, that didn't get cut, well, I think it's a, because Tay Crowder, he, he, he did have a good camp, you know, he earned his spot as a middle linebacker, but a guy like Carter Coughlin, you have to remember that Joe Judge, is a, Joe Judge is a special teams guy, and he really values the special team side of the ball. I mean, Nate Ebner is a guy that got a pretty decent contract, and he'll probably be a starter for the Giants just because of special teams. He really likes special teams, and they, from what I have read, I think that Carter Coughlin is going to be a special teams guy for the Giants for the next couple of years, hopefully, if it works out. Honestly, didn't surprise me, and as a small tidbit of the topic that the Giants signed most of their guys that they had in camp to the practice squad. Say Carson, Tinker, Benjamin, Victor, all those wide receivers, 
also the cornerbacks and that stuff. So I guess with them knowing the playbook and maybe something short notice like somebody is COVID, you don't have to sign somebody off the practice squad who doesn't know your system. And I'm not saying they won't learn it, but the same continuity in the fact of learning the playbook and being in camp so you're at least familiar with the coaches where it's not somebody you just strand from nowhere, especially in a time like this. Right. I'm going to have to agree with you there as well. I think that a lot of teams are doing a lot of different things this year because of the COVID. And like, if you look at Philly, they have, they just signed Josh McCown. He's retired. He's going to get something like $12,000 a week just to sit on his couch and be the emergency QB. So a lot of teams are doing, taking different measures and different looks on it. But I think that the giants are very smart and that's a very good point by you that you picked up on it. Um, I think that it's a very possible reason why most of the guys that they were cutting are getting signed right away to the practice squad because they know the playbook and say someone does get, uh, there's a little bit of an outbreak on the team, you know, those guys can step right in and they know the playbook at least. That portion of the Big Lou in the Bronx podcast is brought to you by AltoDoWithGaming.com. Save 30% off your entire order with the promo code BigBlue30. That's BigBlue30. Go to alltodowithgaming.com now. Thank you, Jordan, for joining me, and I hopefully want to have you on for the preview on Friday. All right, thanks, man. Uh, Yeah, let me know. Um, I'll be available. And now we're on to the Yankees topic of the podcast. I said I was going to be recording this on a Tuesday for a reason. That was after the Blue Jays game. We're going to recap that disaster, but first I'm going to reveal some of my thoughts. Now, some of you are a bunch of clowns, and I'm going to say that. Now, it's not necessarily any of my podcast listeners yet, but everybody's calling for Boone's head, and that is understandable. I agree. Do I think he should be fired? I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle, because last year he won with a team that was depleted, and I agree with that. You know, I'm totally on board with that and, you know, saying that. But at the same time, when it happens again and you get a new pitching coach... It's analytics-based. This isn't Larry Rothschild, everybody. This is analytics-based pitching coach. Matt Blake. Bullpen gave up 10 runs yesterday. 10. You know when the last time the Yankees gave up 10 runs from their bullpen? Anyone take a guess? Have I got it yet? That's right. 1932. 1932. How many years ago was that? 88. 88 years ago. 88 years ago, first time in 88 years, the Yankees bullpen gave up 10 runs. If I'm if I'm doing my research correct, I'm pretty sure I was told that. But then again, I could always be wrong. 88 years ago, and we have suffered so much to this point that we've done something historic in a bad way. Now, why am I saying some of you are a bunch of clowns? Because you guys are literally calling for Boone's head. But you guys were calling for Girardi's head when a couple of years ago. Now, everybody wants to say, oh, stop saying Girardi would have done this. Stop saying Steinbrenner would have done that. Point could be made, honestly. I sort of agree with that. But if you look at some of the modern problems that we're having right now, Gary Sanchez being one of them, he got benched for Eric Kratz and Kyle Higashoka. Unfortunately, Higashoka didn't do that well yesterday. He played... So much better under Joe Girardi. Let's be honest there. Let's you know, let's let's take a minute and actually think about that. I'm gonna take a look at 
look at the stats now and to compare. But also, everybody remembers 2018 when we versed the Rays, right? We were about to tie the game. Hicks was safe at second, I believe. Going back to first, and Sanchez was out. Why was Sanchez out? Sanchez was out because he didn't run another fucking box. He jogged. He jogged, and then when he found out Hicks was safe, he decided to run his fat ass to first. Unfortunately, he was not in time. The problem is that for some of you that want Boone fired, it's not happening. I'm sorry. I mean, something's got to change with this team. I agree with that. But it's not going to be Boone getting fired because the reason they brought him in here and the reason they let go of Girardi wasn't because, oh, we haven't won a World Series in eight years. And I'm going historically on 2017. Now, he hasn't had the best of teams, but different topic. And I don't want to make this too long because I know it was 33 minutes the first segment, but it's a lengthy segment, and I hope you guys liked it. But anyway, eight years, right? That wasn't because of eight years of no championships. I'm pretty sure coaches have been around a lot longer without championships. But anyway, Boone came in. They hired Aaron Boone. Why? Analytics-based? Friendly with players. It was one time where Joe Girardi saw that Sanchez wasn't running to first. He talked to him, told him what's up. He didn't do that again. Well, I mean, he may have done it going forward just in like tidbits when it didn't matter. But he wasn't jogging down the first baseline like a lump of shit. I don't curse a lot, but this video really has to implement it. So for those of you Yankee fans who are thinking, oh, why is Boone here? You know, this, that, and the other thing. It's Cashman front office decision. Let's 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 think about that for a second. Front office decision, that stuff. Would Steinbrenner have held it in for Cashman and for Boone? I don't know. He's not alive, unfortunately. That a couple years ago, died in 2010. That's unfortunate. But we can't be sitting here, can't be using holograms and thinking George Steinbrenner is a hologram. Yes, he's watching us, but he's not coming down back to earth to say, okay, Cashman, you'll do this or else you're fired. Boom, do the same. No, he's not going to do that. This kid's in charge now. Let's, Let's play that how it is. We'll see how everything goes. But again, list of injuries. I get that. We have currently right now, I wrote it down, we have Judge, Stanton, Urshela, Loisega, Paxton, Kaneline, Severino on the IL. I could be missing people, and if I am, please tell me. But I get it. Trust me. If somebody came out yesterday on Twitter, and I'm not going to call out who because I don't know, but my brother looked it up. He said, somebody said, this is not Boone's fault. The pitchers were quality yesterday. And the quality pitches went out and played like shit. You're right. You are right. You are right on with that. Who's the pitching coach, everybody? Who's Who was calling for Rothschild's head? All of you guys. Because the pitching was so horrible last year. Pitching was so horrible to you guys last year. And the years before, too. You know, it's not just that. And I get 2017 was a bad year with the bullpen. Trust me, I went to one of those games and I understand. It was when Dylan Batances literally walked the bases loaded, walked in two runs or whatever happened. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I was there. I was sitting in the second deck. But anyway, Matt Blake so far, like shit. 
he's not done shit in a positive way. Ever since Canely gone down, ever since, you know, Judge went down, things have gone downhill for the Yankees. They may have not lost right away, but it's been going downhill. Same with LeMahieu getting injured, and even though we have him back. Now, I said on my Twitter yesterday, I said, hot take, Yankees go under 500, first time since 1992. And I retweeted that. I said, if y'all think I want this to happen, you are simply joking. You are simply joking. You're simply wrong, too. Because I'm a big fan of the Yankees. I got a hat. I've been a fan since I was born. But I'm not going to sit here and not complain about some of the issues that are happening right now. And I get it's a COVID season. I get it. Trust me. But when we are literally the eighth seed in the expanded playoffs that Rob Manfred put in this year. And we haven't beaten the Orioles in a series. That's the last series. We're also going to play them after the Blue Jays, I believe. That's sad. And I get, you know, the Rays can be a tough team. And basically, they're going to what they're going to turn into is they're going to turn into the 2013 Red Sox where they held our balls. And, but we couldn't, we can't even play on double headers. We can't even play on double headers. We can't. When was the last time we won a double header? Someone please tell me that. I'm not doing the research because, I mean, I will. But at the same time, I'm not going to take myself and go out of my way for that just to prove a point. And everybody knows that the Yankees have done horrible on double headers this season. Horrible. But to close up this topic before we preview, and I'm going to show you guys the standings. You don't believe me, we're the eighth seed. And Orioles are one and a half games back. Trust me, they're 19-21, we're 21-19. So we're two games away from just sitting at 500. But for the final thoughts, do I think Cashman should be fired? No. Is the hirings questionable? Maybe. Yeah. Boone, maybe. I said this yesterday. To one of my friends. Boone, if you think about it, maybe his first managerial job should not have been New York. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not grateful these 100 win seasons. I'm not saying that. I'm not. But literally, some of these decisions have been really broken out by the New York media. And if anyone didn't expect that, if the Yankees didn't expect that, then I don't know what are they thinking, to be honest. Let's, let's break that down. What are they thinking by that? New York media, they rushed Girardi out of town. Same with the fan base, too. There's a portion of the fan base that rushed him out of town. A portion of the fan base was sad, and so was I. I was part of the sad part, like, why are you letting him go? Okay. And then Boone comes in, starts slashing him again with the bad decisions. Not that they shouldn't slash him. But they need to know, okay, should we really get a first-time manager? Something to think about. Nobody says that. Nobody has really said that. That his this is his first managerial job. So, again, should Cashman be fired? No. Because literally every critic, every media person, every fan wanted Garrett Cole this season. Let's be honest. He got him. He got him. Whether he plays up to his expectations, it's up to Garrett Cole and the pitching coach. Pitching coach is shit right now. Pitching coach is basically a fucking extension cord. He's analytical. Do I know Matt Blake personally or know him enough? No, I don't. I'm going to say that right now. But he has not done a good enough job 
where we've put the bullpen out there and we can actually rely on them. Because when was the last time they actually did something good? A couple of games ago, but we've had more bad than good in the last couple of games. Boone, I don't know what to say on him because it really doesn't come as a surprise anymore. I saw some good things. That's getting old. That's getting old. Excuse is getting old. What good things did you see? That your offense put up six runs and your bullpen entirely blew out the game to where your offense doesn't come back? Someone please tell me. Someone please tell me. So, before we obviously get into this, that's what I have to say because it's not surprising. Cashman, front office, hired Boone to be friendly with the players. Not to take accountability. Everybody should know that. Everybody. Right off the board, they should know. Boone was hired for analytics and lack of accountability. Not necessarily the lack of accountability, but the friendliness of the players. And Ben McAdoo was that coach if you want to talk football. Pat Shermer was right in the middle. Because he called out DeAndre Baker, but necessarily there weren't any locker room issues to speak of. But he's not Joe Judge where he's making the coach run laps. So, I don't know football analytics. I don't know how much they rely on that. But going into a situation where I can compare it, I will. So without further ado, let's actually skip into these stats. And for those of you actually listening and not watching, I'll obviously describe them. Okay, everybody, so here is the recap, pretty much done by MLB.com, of the whole game yesterday. Box score, to be honest. Obviously, you got the rap, the plays video. I trust them more than ESPN, even though I have ESPN up here. So let's take a look. Obviously, Andujar, where is he? Hit a home run yesterday along with Luke Voigt. And good offense to start, obviously. If you look at the box score, two runs there. But the Andujar home run was here. And then you got the two runs here. But scored one and then ten. That's what I was talking about with the ten runs. So let's take a look down here. I'm not going to go too much into it. And surprisingly enough, this was a four-hour game. Some of you don't believe that. That's a four-hour game right there. Four hours and two minutes. For a nine-inning game. Now let's take a look at the stats right here. Montgomery, he didn't do the best. Let's be honest there. You know, whether he allowed two runs or whether he allowed six hits or whatever and you combine those two, he didn't do that well yesterday. He didn't. One strikeout, two walks, two earned runs, and six hits. Let's be honest yesterday. Hit after hit after hit. Even though he only gave up two. So let's... Let's put that down. All right, Jonathan Holder, he actually did a decent job. I'm not too much of a fan of Holders, but at the same time, give him his credit. You know, two strikeouts, only one walk and one hit, and that's one and two-thirds innings. So bump down to our favorite guy this season, Chad Green. Four runs, three earned. So four runs, three earned, only one hit, and two walks. So that got him in trouble. Then we got out of Vino down here. I'm pretty sure... He allowed a double onto somebody. I think it was Biggio, Tellez, or Shaw. I don't remember. But he allowed a double to somebody. Then the bases were reloaded. And he gave up a grand slam to Danny Jansen. This guy used to be on my fantasy team. Everybody, Danny Jansen. Right now, he's hitting 155. Basically, that's the entire Yankee lineup right now. 155 hitter. Hit a grand slam. 
Let's take a look at Adovino's ERA. 7.82. 7.82. I'm not repeating that a third time. 7.82. This is the reliever we trusted last season. This is the reliever we signed last season. Adam Adovino. For his great slider and his nasty stuff. I met his dad. If you didn't see my Twitter or my tweet. I met his dad because he was an umpire for one of my games. And he was actually talking to my coach about how Adam was when he got to New York. I'll share that story another day. I would have to recuperate some of my mind for it. But anyway, enough with the, you know, gloopy bullshit. Sessa didn't do much of anything. You know, I mean, he got us pretty much out of the inning. Clark Schmidt came in, two walks, two strikeouts, so no runs from there. But 10 runs, everybody. 10 runs by the bullpen. And again... Not gonna say this is you know all Aaron Boone's fault. Matt Blake has to take his fair share of fault. Let's let's be honest there. But Hinjinru, he had a horrible night, and I don't know why we didn't win. Oh, that's right, the bullpen. But we should have won. Reed Foley only gave up one run, three strikeouts. Their bullpen, other than one run, shut us down the rest of the game. Shut us down the rest of the game. And I honestly forgot that we actually got the last run. I'm gonna be. Very honest, because it was a ground out, I believe. I think it was a ground out or an infield single. I'm pretty sure it was a ground out. So anyway, let's take a look at the standings. I think they're actually right here, yeah. So, here's the American League. It doesn't show the seeds, but you can count. You got Rays at 1, Indians 2, White Sox at 3, Athletics at 4, Twins 5, Blue Jays 6, Astros 7. Remember, we were talking so much shit on them. Oh, they're cheaters. Oh, they're not going to be good this year. Well, they're 21 and 20. They're right above us. And God help us if we are in the playoffs and one of us plunks them. Because it will happen if we do make the playoffs. But it manages how far. Because right now, if the season ended today, we'd be versing the race and we would get shut out. Anyway, so you take a look here. This is the top eight. Yanks are eight seed. Six and a half games back from the first seed. And... Orioles are not that far behind the Yankees, of course. They are at at eight games back, so that's one and a half, if you do the math. And they're under 500. We are literally the last above 500 team right now in the American League. Right here. And I'm I'm not just saying, oh, just for stats reasons, just for standings reasons. No, let's take a look right here. Take a look right here. We are the last... Above 500 team. Expanded playoffs was supposed to help the teams that couldn't do anything. Like the Orioles, like the Mariners, like the White Sox. We turned into one of those teams. Thank you, Yankees. Anyway, so now we're going to take a look at the starters for the next two games. Now, first set of probables is going to be Jay Happ and Taiwan Walker. That should be a treat. And the next set of probables is going to be Davy Garcia and Tanner Rourke. Now, obviously, we're playing Buffalo. And no, another thing I saw last night on Twitter, Yankees pitchers were complaining about the lighting because they couldn't see the catcher's signs. You legitimately have to give me a better excuse than that. I understand the lighting could be shitty in different stadiums, but that doesn't give up a reason where you have to give up 10 runs for the first time in 1932 in the case of the bullpen. But anyway, let's go forward. So, I'll take a look at Jay Happ's last start. I hated this game. I hated watching it. 
Don't know why they put Albert Abreu in for the sake of, you know, because in a situation where he's the runner on second, he's not going to do well. I mean, he's got literally tidbit of experience in the big leagues. And that happened to be this year, of course, because everybody likes to get injured. Everybody likes to do their own thing. However, let's actually focus. So, go down here. Jay Happ, not that good. Not that good. And take a look at the five innings. I'm going to go by a little bit of the box score. So, this is where he routinely finished up. Four runs here. Pretty much gave it all back. In a matter of two innings. Two, three innings. Give it all back. But if you want to take a look at individual stats, eight hits, four earned runs, one walk, four Ks, homer, 93 pitches, 4.68 ERA, five innings pitched. Now, you have homers, Todd Frazier being one of them, the rest were RBIs. So, and then, I'm going to be honest here, I'm not totally surprised in J-Hap, but I'm also not totally disappointed because this is a little bit better, not totally, than last season. Even though he was 12-8 and eight last season, 4.91 ERA. 1-1, 4.68 ERA. So far, he's started five games, 25 innings pitched, so about average of five innings. And then 21 hits, 13 earned runs, and then five homers, which actually isn't that bad, surprisingly, for a lot of Yankee fans, because Garrett Cole, I believe, has given up like seven or eight, if not more. 15 strikeouts. So that's mainly for Jay Happ. Now I'm going to take a look at Taiwan Walker. He got traded from the Mariners for I don't know who, but he was a deadline trade and they got him. Congratulations. Anyway, they won this game against the Red Sox. Seemed like they didn't score runs till the late, late, actually, because Dolis got the win. That was an extra innings where they scored four runs. But anyway, let's take a look at Taiwan Walker's start. So. The first start, actually, this is the second start. Uh, five and two-thirds innings pitch, six hits, two in runs, one walk, four Ks, and homer. So it's not all that bad. I mean, there's going to be times where you trade for a pitcher and they're not going to get the groove of the city or wherever right away and your pitching staff and whatever. The chemistry is not going to be there right away. And people have to understand that. They can't turn into a Cy Young immediately. That's why everybody was questioning Garrett Cole. I mean, he wasn't traded. He signed, and he got time, but there's more of an excuse for Taiwan Walker. But anyway, seems like a decent start here, something you really wouldn't expect out of Taiwan Walker. I think he would be a little more solid. But if you take a look, I'm going to take a look at his stats right here. 4.00 ERA with Seattle, and they traded him. Now he's on 1.54 ERA with the Toronto Blue Jays. Now in those two starts, he's had 11.2 innings pitched, 10 hits, two earned runs only, which is pretty good. One home run, going back to the last start we just showed, four walks and eight strikeouts. Now, obviously, that's in two starts, and referencing back to the Blue Jays' start, he's had four strikeouts each start. And he actually got the win the start before that. I don't remember who it was against. So, if you ask me, I think Taiwan Walker's going to give the Yankees a hard time, or it could go like this, or it could go Taiwan Walker gets totally beat up, and J-Hap goes in there and screws it all up. I leave it up to J-Hap to do that. But anyway, let's go down to the next set of probables. So, Davy Garcia, I'm going to tell you right now, his stats aren't that bad, honestly. I'm talking season-wise. I'm not talking, you know, this game. But as you see, the Yankees lost 6-3. to This was a part of a doubleheader, which I hate, honestly, because I hate these whole fucking 
seven inning double headers for the case of COVID. I get that. The same time you fuck up teams and the way they play, just like the Yankees, but Yankees have like 17 other different problems. So go down here, take a look at Garcia's start. Now, I don't understand to a total extent why they keep throwing Clark Schmidt in there. In the case of the game is already thrown away, let's throw you in. Basically like a Mike Ford thing, but in a different sense. Like they did that with the, I think they did that yesterday actually. Take a look. They did that yesterday where they basically threw him in when the game was over and not in an impact situation. So you take a look here. Yeah, pretty much. Two strikeouts, two walks in an inning. Pitched. So they basically threw him into the fire. Not necessarily throwing into the fire, but it's where, okay, game's over. You you can pitch now. It's not how you treat your prospects, honestly. It's very poor. But anyway, this whole season's been poor. Anyway. So Garcia actually committed an error, if you see up top. 4.2 innings pitched. He got his first loss. Five hits, four in runs, two walks, six Ks, and a homer. That homer being to Mountain Castle. I think he's the catcher. From, no, it's not the catcher. It's the left fielder. I'm so off with that. But anyway, 95 pitches in the span of four and two-thirds innings. So realistically, in the fifth inning. But anyway, going back here, obviously Mount Castle homered in the second inning. Then the Yankees climb back only to fuck it up the next bottom half of the inning. So when I mentioned that Dibi Garcia's stats weren't that bad, they're not. They are honestly not that bad. And we saw him against the Phillies in that scrimmage. Didn't do so well. He kept walking people, kept losing control of his pitches. David Cohn was mostly saying that. So, um... But anyway, his stats aren't that bad. 0-1, obviously, he's got to fix that. 3.38 ERA, two games started, 10.2 innings pitched, five runs, four earned, nine hits, uh, one home run, obviously being to Mountcastle, two walks, and 12 strikeouts, and only one hit by pitch. Obviously, the rest is here. 44 batters faced as well, so he's had a decent amount of time to pitch, and he's still got room to improve. I have more confidence than him. I have more confidence in him than most of the pitching staff right now. That includes bullpen, too. But let's see what he does in the next couple of games. Now, I'm going to go to Terner Roark's last start. He used to be with Washington, of course. But they won against Boston here. It was part of the same set that both of them pitched in, I believe. So, Zach Godley obviously got the loss. He's horrible this year. Bass got the save. A.J. Cole, former Yankee reliever, got the win. So... Tanner Roark, seven hits, four earned runs, one walk, six Ks, one homer, four home innings pitch, 79 pitches. So that's, I would say, a decent pitch count. Not necessarily decent, but in a way, it's somewhat acceptable to sort of the situation. But the Red Sox aren't good. They're not. And I don't know why Red Sox fans think they have the priorities and think they have the privileges to start making fun of Yankee fans. You're 12 and 27, people. Your manager got suspended for cheating. Okay? And he got fired. He resigned. Whatever. I don't give a fuck. Ron Renneke is your manager now who had a history of winning in Milwaukee. And I'm not saying he won any championships or anything. 12 and 27. 12 and 27. But anyway, you know, Tanner Roark obviously didn't do his best this start. Now, just to not bullshit you, I'm going to go through here. He obviously pitched four and I think a third. Yeah, four and a third. And... Right here, two runs in this inning, two runs in that inning. But he was obviously taken out of the game, 
and taken out for Merriweather. Then Cole pitched the next inning on, and then they won the game. So obviously, it was a game of catch-up. But anyway, let's take a look at his season stats. Uh, come up here a little bit. 2-1, 5.74 ERA. Obviously, it's better than Davey Garcia's win record, but obviously, ERA is better. Seven games started, 31.1 innings pitched, 40 hits, 21 runs, 20 of them earned. Eight homers, 16 walks. That's a little high, but again, that is seven starts, so you would have to manage that. 28 strikeouts, one hit by pitch, and 143 batters faced. So he's got a lot of time on his hands, but it also could be like the last thing I said. He could pitch good, or he could be, or he could pitch bad to where Davey Garcia somehow fucks it up, or the offense or the offense doesn't score at all. It's going to be one of those situations, everybody. This is the Yankees we're talking about. And if they don't win tonight, then they are in serious shit. And honestly, it's getting less and less and less surprising. So, that's what I have to say on that. Um, going back to this Gary Sanchez topic I was talking about. Let's take a look right here. 232 batting average last season, 130. 186 in 2018. 18 homers. 2017. Now take a look at these three seasons. Really not 2015 because he just made a slight debut. He went in for a cup of coffee and went out. But these two seasons, career highs, everybody, right here. 299, 278. 33 home runs in 2017. That's what I was talking about, people. That's what I was talking about. What I was talking about. He was an all-star here, and he was also an all-star here. But, you know, all-star games fan voting, so it's going to be mostly popularity. But, you know, it was more of a case here than there was here. Now, anyway, that's my point about the Gary Sanchez thing, that Girardi better managed him than Boone, because Boone tries to cover up for him every time we notice something is wrong with him. In the case of running down, I'm not talking about... Uh, injury-wise, I'm talking about running down the bases or not having great defense. Because his defense has worsened. I'm not going to go into defensive war and that stuff because I'm not really part of defensive war and that stuff realistically calling out those stats. But in the case of every game, there has to be a pass ball get past them. So I don't know what they're going to do with it. I don't know because back in 2016, 2017, this guy's going to be a good catcher, you know? Next couple of seasons, he's like dog shit. Literally, you have a 40-year-old outplaying you. That's Eric Kratz, everyone. I'd rather keep Eric Kratz on a long-term than Gary Sanchez right now. But Gary Sanchez, it's up to you. Aaron Boone, it's up to you. Change my, change my mind. Change my mind. Thank you guys for watching and listening to the podcast. I know this was a long one. I wanted to fit Yankees in there. And with my extended talks with Jordan and whatnot, I'm happy he's able to come on sort of like a part-time co-host for me, even though... I have my brother and a couple other people vying for that role. But we'll see where we'll go from there anyway. If you are listening to the podcast, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music. I'm pretty sure it's on iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and CastBox. Follow our social media pages on Twitter and Instagram at BigBlueInTheBronx. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Now that I'm doing more of these, you know, video stuff and not just making graphics. You know, I get to see my face a little more. And that's that more like... Obviously, you'll get to see my face if you're watching the YouTube portion. And I know this episode. I know this episode is going to be longer than the one with Paul Dettino because that was mostly, mainly, 
Giants. I didn't discuss any Yankees there, even though I was disappointed. But I wanted to fit some Yankees in here to totally not leave them out and be like, you know what, I'm going to ditch the Yankees because they're not good. No, because I want to explain my theory of reasons. So thank you guys for watching, listening. Keep supporting us. Thank you guys for supporting us. And Jordan's going to be back on Friday because we are going to preview the Steelers-Giants game that's happening on Monday night. Also something, before you guys decide to log off in the intro uh, the outro plays i'm streaming sunday morning probably early with sean carroll and luca my brother for a game day stream and this is not totally about giants everybody this is about the list of predictions that we have and a couple other topics based on that we're also gonna be streaming on monday night when the giants play the steelers so it's gonna be real fun don't want to miss it thank you guys and we will see you on friday <music>